Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Thanks for being here this morning. Wasn't our band terrific today? Can we just give them a hand? Amen. We welcomed all those who are guests and maybe family members that are in here for the holidays. Thank you for being here. We also want to welcome back always our regulars. We we thank those of you that are part of just the core group here at Grace Crossing Church, part of our church family. Um, We're just thankful as I'm even already now reflecting on 2019 and all the good things God has done in our lives and our church here. It's been really pretty remarkable. And uh, thanks for all of you just being a part of this journey that we're in together. It's fun to uh, do this as a community, isn't it? And be a part of what God's up to. Well, this morning we are coming back to the series. Actually, we're in our sixth week of the series. We're going to wrap it up next Sunday morning uh, in our one service on the 29th. But uh, before I give the scripture verse that's been the theme uh, of our series, let me tell you where it comes from. The very first time this idea of it's possible appears in the New Testament actually comes during the Christmas narrative. And it's actually a word that is delivered through an angel. Um, It's one of only two angels that are actually given a name in the scripture. And it's not Clarence from It's a Wonderful Life, in case you're wondering, okay? It's It's the angel who was a messenger angel called Gabriel. And here's the message that Gabriel delivers to a young virgin girl by the name of Mary. Luke's gospel, chapter 1, verse 37. Nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. Another way to say that is, with God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. So we've been in this series unpacking things that are helping us to grow our and move our vision forward, but also help grow us as individuals about how we can be more emotionally healthy in our lives. And so today's topic is, is it's possible to trust God's purpose when his plan makes little sense. It's possible to trust God's purpose or that God has a purpose when the plan makes little sense. So this morning, let's begin this message 700 years before the first Christmas. King Ahab, or Ahaz, who was actually the king of the southern kingdom of Judah, whose capital was Jerusalem has been informed that there are two invading kingdoms coming against Judah. One of those being the kingdom of the northern kingdom of Israel. So as you can imagine, King Ahaz is troubled, concerned, overwhelmed by the news. And God sends a prophet by the name of Isaiah to come to Ahaz with a message. It's a timely message. It's actually a profound message. In fact, it is a message that is, I think, critical for us as we enter into this Christmas week. Here's the word Isaiah gives to King Ahaz. Isaiah chapter 7, verse number 4. Give him this message. Stay calm, be quiet, and guard your heart. 
don't panic or be discouraged. Now, I could take that one verse and I could do a five-week series on that verse, and maybe someday we will. But I think it is a critical word that God gives to Ahaz that actually is so appropriate for us as we prepare to enter into this Christmas week. And so though, though this is not the central focus of this morning's message, I think it's important enough of a word to us that I would encourage you to take some time, sometime today, to ponder this question. Am I prepared to remain quiet and calm during this Christmas season? What am I doing to keep myself calm and quiet during this Christmas season? Another way to ask it is, how are you intending to guard your heart to keep it from becoming discouraged? See, there are a lot of things that happen, I think, this time of year. Um, It is the most wonderful time of year, but truth be told, it is also for many of us, the most stressful time of year. So let let some scar tissue speak to you right now, okay? If you fail to plan emotionally, you are planning to fail emotionally. Let me say it again. This Christmas, if, if you fail to plan emotionally, you are planning to fail emotionally. See, it's not enough just to prepare the home. It's not enough just to prepare the gifts. It's not enough just to prepare the experiences. I have learned that I also must prepare my heart and I must prepare my emotions if I'm going to be able to stay at a good place, especially during the holidays. Now listen, this isn't just a good word for this time of year. This is actually a good word for us every day of the year. Till this past week, my wife and I were on a date night, which we try to do at least once a week. Um, And during the date night, she said something that emotionally triggered me. I could feel myself becoming agitated. I could feel myself becoming frustrated. And honestly, my temptation in that moment was to begin to withdraw emotionally, to not stay present with her. I didn't do a great job of it. When we got home, she went about what she was doing, and I went over to where I typically sit for my reflection time, and I I just shut my eyes, and I just went to the Lord in some silence and some quietness. And as I sat there, I all of a sudden realized God was helping to reveal to me what was happening inside of me, that it really had nothing to do with Kelly. It had everything to do with me. And so I I, I was able through that time of about 15 minutes of quiet and silence to come back to a good place so that I could move back into relationship with her and be present with her and also own my own stuff and apologize. Let me say, God wants to come to all of us, but if we do not practice calmness 
And quietness, what we discover is we don't know how to manage or correct with God's help when things affect us. So Ahaz was needing something more than just the word from the prophet. And so here's what Isaiah says to him in verse number 11. Go ahead, he says, Isaiah says to Ahaz, ask for a sign from Yahweh, your God. Ask for something big, so miraculous that you will know only God did it. Here's what Isaiah is saying to King Ahaz. He's saying this. He's saying, with God, everything and anything is possible. So go ahead. You need confidence that God is with you. Ask God for a sign that he's for you and not against you. Ask God for a sign that he's going to come through for you. Ask God to let you know that he has heard your prayer and your cry for help. Go ahead and ask God for a sign. Now, I believe that God can still work through signs. It's filled with scripture, and I believe there are times that we need something from God that's tangible that lets us know his direction for our lives. So a number of years ago, I had a military family that showed up at our church, and when I met them for the first time, I said, how did you hear about Grace Crossing Church? And the guy said, listen, we are new to the community, been feeling a sense and an invitation, I need to get back to church, and I really wasn't sure where to go, so many churches to choose from. So he said, I just simply said, God, would you give me a sign? A few minutes later, he's driving on 675, and a truck goes by with our church sign on it. He said, that's all I needed. (laughs) You know, here's the thing. This, I believe, gives us one of the greatest definitions for faith that you'll find anywhere in the Bible. Faith is trusting God for something so audacious Something so gigantic that when it happens, only God can get the credit. Nobody else can get the credit. Faith is our courage to ask God and trust God for something so big that when it happens, only God is going to get the credit. One year ago, we stood here and we began a journey called Imagine here at Grace Crossing Church. We had a big goal. It was an audacious goal of $3.2 million over the next two years. We're a year into it. We sit right now at about $2.7 million of what we believe is a projected total for us. That includes about $325,000, about 10% of the initiative that we had already stewarded before we even began the initiative. And we have a gap. It's a half a million dollars. It's big. It's audacious. It's going to need a miracle. We know that. But here's what I've learned from God. I've learned it in our own history. God can come through with miracles in his way and his time. And so we're asking and we're trusting for something that's big, that's going to take a miracle. And that's what faith is. Now look at verses 12 through 14. This is the actual messianic promise that were given in the book of Isaiah about Jesus. Ahaz answered, I will not ask. In other words, I'm not going to ask. 
I won't attempt to test the Lord Yahweh. So Isaiah said this, pay attention, family of David. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will name him God among us. The name is Emmanuel. Whenever you read those letters, E-L, in scripture, in a word, in a name, in a city, in a place, that word E-L in the Hebrew refers to God. The word that God gives through Isaiah is this. God is gonna become one with us. And it's gonna be a tremendous sign to you. God actually is going to do the unthinkable. God who created humankind is now going to become one of our kind. That's the sign. That's the miracle. One commentator said this. He said that Emmanuel suggests that God chose to come to earth and he said he was going to come and live with us. That's what he did. He came to our place. This is a prophecy that is given that isn't fulfilled for 700 years. Let me ask you a second question. How long would you wait for someone to fulfill their promise to you? Would you wait 700 seconds? How about 700 minutes? Would 700 hours be too long? What happens here is, is you're not gonna wait 700 weeks or months, you're gonna wait 700 years for the promise to be delivered. Ahaz was looking for something that was going to immediately affect him, something that was gonna give him courage to get him through the next few days. But God, whose view is long and God, whose way is often slow, says this. He says, I'm concerned more about the family of David. You're gonna get a sign. Pay attention, family of David, because something powerful is going to happen that's gonna let you know that God is on your side. God is for you. And 700 years later, Jesus is born. Here's what I've learned. We are often in a rush. God is not. We are often anxious and hurried. God rarely is. So while we're busy and occupied trying to increase the pace of our life and get to the next big thing, God is just slowly working to form his nature in us. He's doing something deep in us. He's doing something in generations that are yet to be born that we cannot see. And yet our faithfulness in this generation is going to matter to what God does in the next generation. I love the promise and the reminder in 2 Peter to all of us. Second Peter chapter three, verse eight. Don't forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. It didn't even take God a day to fulfill his promise. 
That's what the scripture tells us. In God's chronology, this was less than a day from the time it was stated to the time it happened. Oh, for us, it felt like forever, but not for him. So fast forward now 700 years to the two principal characters that we read about in the New Testament who were catalysts in fulfilling this prophecy. Mary and Joseph. For the next two weekends, I want to take those two characters and, and I want us to learn some lessons about us that it, it is possible to trust God's purpose when his plan makes little sense. Next weekend, we're going to look at the unsung hero of the Christmas narrative, Joseph. He, in my mind, is the unsung hero. But this morning, we're going to talk about Mary. Before we go there and we shift gears and we move now into the New Testament, into the fulfillment of this prophecy, let me just hit the pause for a very quick infomercial. Take a look at the screens. Got at the box office begins in January. How many of you are excited about that, right? Getting started with a brand new series? Let's talk about a couple of things we learn about Mary before we get into the specifics of her journey of trust, steady trust. First thing we know about Mary is that Mary had a deeply religious family of origin. Mary had a deeply religious family of origin. Luke's Gospel, chapter 3, verse number 23. When Jesus began to preach, he was about 30 years old. Everyone thought he was the son of Joseph, but his family went back through Eli. Now, the question this morning is, who was Eli? Many scholars believe that Eli was Mary's father, and so Jesus' grandfather. What's interesting about this is that Jesus is the only person we read about in Scripture who actually gives both the paternal and the maternal family of origin. Here's why that matters. Here why, here's why that's so critical. In the first century, the genealogy of, an, of, of a person was typically traced and it was one-sided. The only genealogy and family of origin that really mattered was the father's. So the mother's genealogy had very little impact on the privileges and the rights and the opportunities that were afforded to a child. And yet what Luke does in his gospel is Luke actually gives us 
a second genealogy because the first genealogy of Jesus appears in the opening of the New Testament in the Gospel of Matthew. And in the Gospel of Matthew, it clearly states that Jesus was the son of Joseph who was the son of Jacob, not Eli. So this is pretty profound because what Matthew does in his gospel, and we'll talk more about this next weekend, is Matthew actually traces the lineage of Jesus all the way back to Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation, through the line of David. So Jesus is presented to us as royalty. He's an heir to the throne of David. That's not what Luke's gospel does. Luke is not focusing on the royalty of Jesus. He's focusing on his humanity. Where Matthew writes to set him up as king, Luke writes his gospel to the Gentiles, to the Greeks who were considered outsiders. They were religious outsiders. They were even sometimes called pagans. And he writes his gospel to say, Jesus came for all mankind, you included. And he's presented here in Luke's gospel to us as the son of man. Where Matthew traces his gospel back to Abraham, Luke traces this genealogy all the way back to Adam, the original son of God. Let me tell you why this is important. We tend to minimize our family of origin. We often tend to accept the good things we got from our family of origin and minimize or ignore altogether the difficult parts. And so for many years, I came to Matthew's gospel, the opening of the New Testament, and I just thought the first 14 verses were irrelevant. They were all genealogy. What, what does it really matter? And as I've grown in my own life emotionally and spiritually, what I've learned is it matters a whole lot. Because our family of origin has a great bearing on who we are and who we become. And according to this genealogy in Luke's gospel, Jesus' family of origin mattered. It was important. So was Mary's. So is yours. The second thing we know about Mary as a general uh, overview of her life is that Mary had a plan that made a lot of sense to her. So Mary, as a young teenage Jewish young lady, she was actually in a prearranged relationship which was common in those days. In fact, it was the only way that marriages were arranged. They were arranged through agreement of a man or a man's parents with a young teenage girl. Where she is actually being given to that individual in marriage, once that young man has earned the right and the parents respect to believe that they are worthy of their daughter. And how was that arranged? It was arranged through what was called a dowry, a payment of sorts, where you would actually pay a certain fee 
And you would then have to maybe even perform several obligations, maybe labor or some other things to earn the right to have that father's daughter in marriage. That was the arrangement of Mary. Mary was betrothed or what is called engaged, that's what we call it today, through prearrangement. And from everything that we can read in the New Testament, it appears that Mary, both Mary and Joseph were cooperating with the arrangement. They were cooperating. Pay the dowry, plan a ceremony, consummate the marriage, have a few kids or a dozen kids, raise your family, repeat the cycle. In, in Mary's eyes, it was a good plan. The problem was it wasn't God's plan. Mary had a plan that was imperfect because of her own limited knowledge and understanding. It was a good plan from all intents and purposes, but it wasn't God's plan. And what God does is he comes and he interrupts her plan to remind her that God has another purpose. It's a higher purpose. It's an eternal purpose. She couldn't see it, but God saw it. And so we enter in in the New Testament into this journey of a young lady engaged or betrothed to be married to a man by the name of Joseph. And on the journey, her trust is challenged. Because Mary didn't understand the plan, she had some struggle trusting God's purpose. The first thing that we learn about Mary in this journey of trust is that Mary trusted God despite an unplanned pregnancy. Mary trusted God despite an unplanned pregnancy. First chapter of Luke, beginning at verse number 31. The angel says, you will conceive, you will give birth to a son, you will name him Jesus. Now please remember, she's a teenager. She's unmarried. He will be very great, will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor, David. And he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, how can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. So put yourself for just a moment in Mary's place. Growing up in a Catholic family, I had a particular view of Mary. And then my view, as I shifted in my, my faith, I realized my view of Mary began to change. And what has happened over the last number of years, as I've become, I think, more emotionally aware, even theologically, of her life, I realized just how graced she was, that she was selected by God. 
Now, some of you in this auditorium this morning, some of you are the result of an unplanned pregnancy. Some of you here might even be the result of an unwanted pregnancy. And I just want to say this this morning. If that's you, your parents may not have had you in mind, but God did. God had you in mind before you were even conceived. Many of you in this auditorium know our first grandson came into our lives as an unplanned pregnancy. Shane was not on the radar, was not on the map. The timing was all wrong. And yet I now look at his life and I recognize that God had a plan for that young man, that he needed to be part of this family. And we needed him in our family. So Mary, as you can imagine, is wondering about all this, struggling to figure out the plan. It just doesn't make sense. Which brings us to a second thing I want you to see about Mary this morning is that Mary trusted God despite being emotionally triggered. She trusted God despite being emotionally triggered. Look at verse number 20, 29. Confused and disturbed. Mary tried to think what the angel could possibly mean. So I, I love that the scripture here names the emotions. Mary is confused or bewildered. And she's disturbed, deeply troubled. What she is hearing, what she's experiencing is making no sense to her whatsoever. She cannot even fathom how this could be God. How could God be in that? I mean, it is a scandal of all scandals in the first century a young virgin woman could have been stoned for being pregnant before she was married. And so she is confused and disturbed. But there's really one emotion that God is trying to get to in Mary's life. I actually have found it's the primal emotion for so many things that we feel in life. The emotion that God zeroes in on is found in verse number 30. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. What was the emotion Mary was feeling underneath the confusion? Being bewildered, perplexed, deeply troubled, was fear. And God wanted to get to her fear. What was her fear? Her fear was likely that she was going to fall out of favor with her family. She, she was going to fall out of favor with all of her friends. And she was going to fall out of favor with her fiance. And so God comes to remind her of something. And what he reminds her of is this. You are highly favored by God. Even if you fall out of favor with everybody else, you're highly favored by God. 
And I want to assure you, Mary, that there is a remedy for your primal fear. And the remedy for your primal fear is God's favor. The favor of God is always the thing that comes to remind us and really free us from our fears of falling out of favor with others. And God had to remind Mary of this, even while she's being emotionally triggered. Mary does something else that proves that she t- she's trusting God's purpose even though the plan makes little sense. Mary is trusting God's word over her own wisdom. She's trusting God's word over her own wisdom. Look at verse number 38. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. What Mary is doing here is she's actually giving God an invitation to do his work in her, to do his work through her, even though she is scratching her head going, this doesn't seem right. This doesn't make sense. None of this plan makes any logical sense. It is unreasonable that this would be happening. And yet she humbly depends on God and comes and says, I am just a servant. That's all. Which means I don't make up the rules. I don't decide what happens, what is acceptable and not. I don't don't have any say over that. I'm simply a servant. And so may your word be fulfilled. May your word be fulfilled. Now what Mary knew is that Mary knew that she was going to be moving into a season of waiting. Because if she's pregnant, she's at least got nine months of waiting, right? And she has no idea what God has in store, what's on God's plan and purpose for the son that she's carrying. She's waiting. I'll tell you, I learned in my life that you cannot say you trust God if you're unwilling to wait for God. Listen, if we won't wait in our life, then we will not learn how to trust. Because trust and waiting are inseparable. They depend on each other. I'm reading a devotional right now called The Emotionally Healthy Relationship Day by Day. Let me just read this one quote to you about this idea of waiting, which I thought was was really so profound. Here's what it says. Waiting for the Lord is a foundational principle of the spiritual life. In fact, when we are waiting, we are doing one of the most important spiritual tasks. We are allowing God to work and to grow our soul. Did you know the season we're in is called Advent? Did you know that Advent means coming? but not yet come. The season of Christmas, the season of Advent, is all about a season of waiting, anticipating, having no proof it's going to happen, but trusting God for it. That's where Mary was. 
Mary is thrust into a season of trusting God's word even when she couldn't see how it was all going to come together. And so often that's what we're thrust into in our lives, aren't we? We're thrust into seasons where we don't know how it's going to work out. We don't know everything about the future. What we do know is we know God can be trusted. We know God's purposes can be trusted even when his plan makes little sense. Which brings us to one final thing about Mary that I think the scripture lifts out very clearly. Is that Mary trusted God despite her untimely delivery. Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. We fast forward into the narrative in verses 4 through 6. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. Now, I used to read this narrative and think that they absolutely knew they were going to deliver in Bethlehem. Who in their right mind would do that? What pregnant woman would say, yes, take me to a foreign place. We have no reservations for lodging. I have no uh, person that's going to come and help me. I don't even know what the, the facilities medically are there. But yeah, go ahead and take me to Bethlehem so that I can deliver this child. I have a hunch that Mary, if she had known what God knew, she probably would have said, I'm going to stay in Nazareth. You go and register, take care of things, but I need to be here. I need to be with my midwife. The way the scripture reads, I think it suggests that Mary did not know when the baby was going to come and she was surprised that it came. That Jesus is born when she is not ready for it. There's no room in the inn. She's relegated to a manger or a, a facility that is that is reserved for animals, Jesus is born basically and placed into a feeding trough. No good mother in their right mind would make that decision on their own. But that was God's plan. God needed to get Mary out of Nazareth and to Bethlehem. Why? because that was where the Messiah was prophesied to be born. God had to maneuver and rearrange her schedule and her plans to make sure that she was fulfilling God's purpose for her life and God's purpose for her son's life. So God has to rearrange her plans and her schedule. Let me close with this. Back in 1986, I traveled from Omaha, Nebraska to Cleveland, Ohio, where I was interviewing and being considered for a youth pastor position, my very first ministry position. My wife was seven months pregnant. 
with our firstborn daughter, Ashley. We went to her doctor just a day before we left. And her doctor checked her out and said, because we had a concern about whether or not it would be safe for her to fly. Is that even wives? And the doctor said, yeah, everything looks good. You're, you're going to be fine. You can go on the trip. Have a great time. So we did. We took the flight. We arrived on a Tuesday night. On Wednesday night, I had a chance to speak to the youth ministry Early in the morning, after that evening, about four in the morning, my wife woke up with intense back labor. We hadn't even been through Lamaze. I didn't even know you could have back labor. If it's labor, it's got to be here, right? I had no idea. We rushed her and took the church van and drove her to the nearest hospital we could get her to, where she several hours later, about eight in the morning, delivered prematurely, by emergency cesarean, our first child. The pediatrician came and told me that I had a daughter, but she wasn't doing great. And the pediatrician said, I think we need to life flight her from here to Metro General Hospital to one of the best neonatal units in the country. She spent the next three weeks in the neonatal intensive care unit. She'll be in the second service today. So Steve Jobs said this, you can never connect the dots of your life looking forward. You can only connect them looking backward. What I didn't know then, God knew. Here's what God knew. God knew I needed to get out of Nebraska and I needed to get to Ohio. God knew that our daughter was going to need specialized facility that Metro General Hospital could provide her. That I'm not so certain the facilities in Nebraska could have. God had to rearrange our plans and do what, even at the time when she was born, we're saying, we don't get this, God. We don't understand why this is happening. It feels like punishment. We came with just one suitcase. Everything else is in Nebraska. A couple of days after Ashley was born, the pastor who I was interviewing with came to the hospital at the neonatal intensive care unit to visit with me. And when the, the doctor on on call that day, was talking with him and found out the story of why we were there. He said, you're going to hire him, aren't you? <laughs> Unfortunately, they did. I think it was a guilt hire, but we were hired. But see, God knew that I needed to get here. That there was more to the story than just Cleveland. And God was orchestrating in my life, and I can only see it now looking back. Mary could not see at the time looking forward. Why Bethlehem? But that was God's purpose. That was God's purpose. So here's what I want to close with this morning. All of us, as we enter into this Christmas week, we come into it with some expectations. We even have plans. 
Maybe you've got family plans and maybe you've got some places you're going to visit, some restaurants you're going to enjoy, maybe a meal that you're planning to cook, maybe presents you're waiting for from Amazon still haven't arrived. Here's what I can tell you. Not every plan that you have made is going to come out the way you had planned. I can promise you. And in our life with our journey with God, not everything we plan is going to come out the way we expect. But here's what I've learned. God's purpose can be trusted even when his plan doesn't make sense. Let me leave you with this gift at Christmas. One of my very favorite verses from Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. Here it is. For I know the plans, I know the plans, I know the plans, God says, that I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Isn't that good news this Christmas? That even when the plan makes little sense to us, even when it throws us emotionally, God still has a plan that he promises. It's a good plan. It's ultimately set you up for good, not bad. Trust in me. You can trust in my purpose even when my plan makes little sense to you. So let's stand together. And this morning, what I want to ask you to do as you bow your head is I'm going to ask you just to open your heart And perhaps you even want to open your hands before you as a symbol of invitation to God. And and this is a way of saying, just like Mary did, God, I'm your servant. I, I don't really understand everything in my life. I don't understand everything that's coming in my future. I don't I don't even know this week if it's all going to come out the way I'd hoped. But here's what I know. I know that you got good plans for me. I I know that they're plans not to harm me. They're plans to give me hope in a future. So with your heart open and with your hands open and with your eyes closed, can you take just the next moment and can you personally invite God into your journey of steady trust that, that this is a part of our journey, all of us, that we have to invite God into? And then I just want to pray a blessing over you, Grace Crossing Church, this morning. Thank you, God, for the good gift of Jesus. Thank you for Emmanuel, God, who has come to be with us. We pray this morning, come Holy Spirit, we need you. Come Spirit, we pray. Come this Christmas in your strength and your power. Come in your own gentle, purposeful way into our hearts, into our homes, into our families, into our lives. Let us trust your word, your gift to us, that you have good plans for us, even when your plans make little sense to us even when your plans may from a human perspective perspective, disappoint us. We trust in your purpose, God, even when your plans don't make sense. 
So receive our hearts, our love. Be with us, I pray, this Christmas. And let us be aware, God, of our waiting on you for the coming once again of your son, Jesus, as we relive that moment and we remember the reason that we celebrate this season. Thank you, God. Bless us, I pray, as we go. Watch over us. Keep us rested and at peace. In the palm of your hand, I pray. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.